So before he stood up, I wanted, I wanted to say something. I wanted to say, you know, because you're here, you don't really realize it, but we are so blessed to have a worship team um, that's so faithful, you know, to be, on their, to be on the instruments, to be in their positions. I know sometimes we have people that have to work or whatever, but we are so blessed to have, not only are they there, but we, we sing songs that are current, songs that are fresh. I mean, the two of the songs we sang tonight, um, whenever, whenever Mike started leading them, I thought, wow. You know, it's, 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 it's so good to be in a church where the worship leader and the worship team are able to stay on, if you would, the cutting edge of, of what, you know, because... You know, whenever I whenever I grew up, we pay, we sang page two fifty nine every week. You know, whatever it was, I don't remember what it was. But you know, we sang the same, basically the same hymns, the same songs, the same courses, and and, and I never thought anything of it. But we we sang a lot of the same songs, and that there wasn't anything wrong with that, and it was good. But nowadays, you know, the we we don't the songs move around a lot, and I just want to say thank you to to Mike and to. Uh, Veronica and Kim and and uh, Dustin and uh, Ricky and uh, what's her name Tracy and uh, the other girls over here that sing uh, yeah Tammy and um, Jana and Kayla and Jada and and Reed when I let her <laughs> she she <laughs> she <laughs> I'm, I got the word there for a while I said, who I said Kim she's the only one I could remember her name without turning around looking. There for a while I got to where I was afraid to look over at Reed because if I looked over there, she'd go, can I let her? Not, not this morning. Let's sing. Let's do it tonight. But she's always ready. And, and, I, and I praise God for that. I thank God that God has filled this church with, with um, young ladies that, that want to sing, that want to be on the platform, and they just get better every time they come up. Uh, Tegan, her, she is doing she is doing so well. The last song, last time she sang, not the Missionette Crowning, but the time before that, um, whenever she came up here and st stood all by herself and sang, she just did so well, so good. And I'm so proud of our of our kids and so proud of this church. And I just want to say how much I love you and appreciate you. And and it's just a it's just a blessing to be here. I wanted to. Uh, we don't do this very much, but I wanted to kind of make you aware um, of some things that's in your bulletin. Now, the men's breakfast went to September the 2nd, huh? Stan? Well, it's supposed to be the night. We, we, we were doing men's fellowship on Thursday nights, but we were running into conflicts with so much stuff. So we moved it back to Saturday to try to get away from all the scheduling conflicts we had. Um, so anyway, we're doing it on Saturday mornings, and with this time we're going to do it on Saturday, September the 2nd. That's Labor Day weekend. That's this Saturday. Man, I was going to wash my hair that morning, but I guess I'll come up here. Starts at 8.30, ma'am. It did, but they, they called today and moved it back to the 2nd. I saw, the, I saw it on face on the message board. So I wanted to make sure and make that announcement tonight. The men's fellowship will be this Saturday at uh, at eight thirty here at the church, and uh, you know, if you can make it, we would love to have you here. We get together, just have a service as guys and a little t time together. Women's ministry, a ladies' Canton trip, September the twenty eighth through the thirtieth, twenty five dollar deposit. Money's due by Wednesday, August thirtieth. Um, that's today. So if you're going to Canton, uh, be sure and let Sarah know, uh, Misty, Sarah, Burns, or Nancy LeBlanc, more information. You have more information? You don't? Okay. You're on here. says you do. <laughs> oh, goodness. So our mission at Girls Ministry will have a crowning. Oh, we already did that. Never mind. Forgot that. Uh, Tuesday, September the 12th, we'll have a community outreach. We'll be going door to door, four o'clock that afternoon. So if you're if you're available, we'd love to have you come go with us. Young at Heart's going to meet here September the 22nd. Now we're getting off to the 
And then, we're, then the last one's all the way into October. October the 20th and 21st, we have Operation David and the Derby Car Race. So, um, oh, here's a couple of dates to remember. Um, 927 is See You at the Pole for all campuses. 10-5 is National Bring Your Bible to School Day. And 10-30 is my birthday. So, how'd that get in there? I know now I don't give you a mic. Uh, we have a Sunday school promotion. It was for the 24th, but Jim's going to be out of town. So we're going to push that back a week till he gets back. So he's going to be he's going to be in New York City for a <laughs> going to be in New York City for a little while. Uh, so remember these announcements. Does anybody else have a testimony before we get started here, or as we're getting started here? Okay. I was waiting on you. That's why I was reading the bulletin. Right. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we're going to continue uh, probably one more week on this topic of love and marriage. Um, if, you, if you're wondering, I, I have a book I'm following. It's called Relationships in Ministry. That's the name of the book. I'm taking topics out of it. Uh, it is a chapter on marriage, love and marriage. And so I'm not just making this up as I go. I do take the topic and I write down his paragraph and then from there, from there I make it up, but I at least start with his stuff. So um, that's what we're doing. So we've got about, we're going to go this maybe a week or two more on this and then we're going to move on to something else. Unless y'all want to continue with it and then we can just continue because he's got many more pages. But um, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you Lord for the opportunity Thank you for love, Almighty God, that you show us every day. And now, God, I pray, Father, that you would direct our conversation tonight, Father. Lord God, that you would open your word to our eyes, O oh God, our heart, our mind, our soul, Father God, and help us to see you. We give you praise for it now in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk tonight about something that the writer of this book calls covenant love. So we're talking about love between a husband and a wife or love in a relationship. It doesn't have to be. Husband and wife, it could be between friends because it's, it's even between friends, you need a covenant love. So love is not an emotion. Love is a commitment. That's the thing you need to get in your mind. If you don't get anything else out of this, this teaching on love and marriage and friendship is that love is not an emotion. When you start thinking love is an emotion, then you're going to fall in and out of love because you don't always feel in love. But love is a commitment. And if you're going to have a lifelong relationship with a friend or with a, with a spouse, then you're going to have to have a covenant-style love. And just to start here, he says, True wisdom in marriage is when both partners remain committed to the covenant love that each promised at the time of marriage. Now, when did you make a covenant love promise at the time of marriage? When did, you, when did you specifically make a covenant love promise when you got married? For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. In the old days, whenever Kathy and I got married, we used to say something. We used to say, I pledge thee my troth. That used to be in all the marriage ceremonies. I pledge thee my troth. I had no idea what it was. We had no, we had no Google. We had no, you know, we didn't have any of that. You know, we had rotary phones, had a dial tone even, but we didn't. But, but it was in all the marriage relationships, in all the marriage vows, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, till death do us part, I pledge thee my troth. Well, this week as I was studying this, he defined what troth is. And troth is an old English word that basically says that what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. The very deepest, very most, most, the most intimate, the most deepest, the most, the, the, the greatest thing that I possess, whatever that is, I give it to you. And it's, it's, a, it's a covenant love. It's a, it's, he goes on to say here, covenant love is not an emotion, but a commitment to love and loyalty. And that's, that defines troth, love and loyalty, love and loyalty. That defines that. And if you're going to be in a covenant love relationship, you're not always going to feel in love. You have to remember that love is a commitment. It's not an emotion. And the second thing is, is loyalty. Loyalty. If you want to lose a friend, then stab him in the back and be disloyal. Jesus had a man that was disloyal to him. His name was Judas. He, there's, there's at least two Psalms, 109 in particular, where he talks about a disloyal friend and how he feels about that. This loyalty is, is a tremendous um, thing that, that breaks relationships. Um, in any, any affair, 
even if the marriage gets back together, this is, I'm just telling you this from experience, from just watching. I've got a card now that says I'm old enough to make observations. Any, any, any affair that occurs, even if the couple gets back together, even if they heal that tremendous bridge of the trough that has occurred, even if they heal that, that, that back of your mind feeling of hurt because of the disloyalty remains. It stays there. You have to work your way through it. It takes, I have watched people do it. It takes years for that feeling because the first time he or she is late coming home and they don't call, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Where are they at and what are they doing? And so covenant love is a love that's not only a commitment, but it's also loyalty. Love is relational, and if the relationship is temporary, then covenant love can never be known. There is no instant joy in marriage. Hence, without covenant love, few, few people will survive the lean for worse times that are, an, that are an inevitable prelude to a renewal and deeper relationship. It's, it's, and that's, that's true in, in friendships. That's true in churches. That's true in marriages. It always seems like to me that right before there's a change in the, um, in the covenant love or a change in the congregation or a change in the relationship, it almost always seems like you go through a hard time. You go through a difficult circumstance. You go through a, a difficult communication problem. You go through something, and that the, if you endure that, if you go on and press through that, then when you come out on the other side of that, most of the time there's a deeper covenant relationship that's in the friendship, in the marriage, in the church, in something, because it's, it seems like it just goes that way. I, I, I'm going to skip to the very back because I want to I start with a great example of, covenant, of, of this discussion on covenant love. So if you go with me to the back page, and I'm going to be reading from John chapter 21. John chapter 21, where Jesus addresses someone who had been disloyal to him. So if you remember, Jesus was arrested at the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane. He was arrested, and he was taken first to, to Annas' house, who was considered to be a high priest. Uh, while they were at Annas' house, Peter was asked by a maid if he was one of Jesus' disciples, and he said no. And then they left Annas' house after they had, had uh, quizzed him and they took him to Caiaphas' house. And when he got to Caiaphas' house, he met the council. And the council, which was a smaller group of, of people or a bigger group of people, but a, not, a, not the Sanhedrin, not the big court, it had about 10 people at it. They were all kin. They started quizzing Jesus. That's the place where Caiaphas rips his robe. They... They start blindfolding Jesus and striking him with the palm of their hand. And Peter gets asked twice at that house if he's one of his disciples. And twice more, he denies and the cock crows, the, the rooster crows. So Jesus knows that Peter's been disloyal. As a matter of fact, he called it ahead of time, right? He said, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And so here he is now. Jesus has, been, has died. He's been crucified. He's resurrected. He's been back on the earth for a period of time. And now... Uh, the disciples have decided that they're not going to be preachers anymore. They're going to go back to fishing. And if you go back and if you go and count, I think there's eight out of 12 disciples or eight of 11 that decide they're going to go back fishing. They're out there on a boat. Now they've decided they're not even going to preach anymore. Not only are they, not only are they, did Peter denying, but now they've all decided they're not going to preach. They're just going to go out there and start fishing again. So they're out there fishing and Jesus is on the shore and he tells them, children, do you have any meat? And throw the they on the other side of the boat, and, and John says it's Jesus, and now they all start coming in. Do y'all are y'all up with me? You go, so this that's where we are. So Jesus, they get there. Jesus has fish and bread ready for them. Where he got it, I don't know, but he has it ready for them, and he's he's made breakfast for them, and they're there and they're eating and they they're talking, and and then Jesus turns to Peter, the guy that denied him three times, the guy that decided he'd go back fishing, he. Uh, turns to Peter, and in verse 15, he says, So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, 
do you love me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And he said, Feed my lambs. Now what you need to know about this is that in the Greek there are at least five words that mean love. They, English, English love means love means love. And by who I'm talking to, you figure out if I tell my mom I love her, if I tell my wife I love her, you know I'm talking about different kind of loves. If I tell Mike I love him, you know, you know I'm not talking about the same kind of love for all three people. You, know, you, know, you just know. Well, in Greek, they have different words for all of that. So, so here, uh, we, we're going to be dealing with two words. And if you look on your sheet, the first one is agapeo, which means to love or to be benevolent with the deliberate assent of the will as a matter of principle, duty, and priority. So agapeo is love with loyalty. That is covenant love. It's a love that's loyal. It's a love that gives. It's a love that sticks with you no matter what. That's agapeo. The other one is phileo. Phileo is means to be a friend or to be fond of, to have affection for. And in Strong's Concordance, it makes this note. The two, agapeo and phileo, thus stand related very much, the former being chiefly of the heart, agapeo, and the latter being of the head, phileo. Does that make sense? So agapeo is, is a heartfelt love. It's loyalty. A phileo is a head love, more of a friendship. So Jesus asked Peter in verse 15, Simon Peter, son of Jonas, agapeo, thou me more than these? And Peter's response is, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo thee. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Then Jesus turns to him a second time and says, Simon, son of Jonas, agapeo, thou me. And Peter says unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo thee. And he said unto him, feed my sheep. So what is, what is Jesus asking Peter? Do you love me with a loyalty that's going to stick with me? And what's Peter's response? I'll stay with you as long as it works for me. That's his response. And so Jesus says, I've called you to feed my lambs. I've called you to feed my sheep. So what happens the third time? He says, Jesus says unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, phileo thou me? Peter was grieved. Why is Peter grieved? Because the third time he said unto him, phileo thou me. So Jesus now changes it and says, are we just friends? You know, I've got you, I've got you to feed my sheep. I've got you to feed my lambs. And you're telling me that you're not going to be loyal to me? And so Jesus says, is that what you're saying? And it grieves Peter. He's grieved because Jesus has said this. And, G and, and he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. Thou knowest that I phileo thee. And Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. So Jesus goes on to say this, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Peter, when you were young, you gird yourself and you walked wherever you would. But when you shall be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry you where you would not. This spake Jesus, signifying by what death, uh, what death Peter should glorify God. And when he had spoken this to him, he said, follow me. So Jesus is telling Peter, I've got, you're going to be feeding my sheep. You're going to be feeding my lambs. And Peter, at the end of your life, they're going to stretch you out on a cross and you're going to die. And phileo is not going to cut it. You're going to have to have an agapeo love for me. And, and Peter, of course, Peter does. He develops that agapeo, that loyalty to God to the point that whenever Peter, tradition says that whenever Peter was crucified, he told the Romans that he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner. As a matter of fact, Peter and his wife were both crucified on the same day. And Peter told his captors that by tradition, I don't, I don't, by tradition, that he wasn't worthy to be back, to be crucified in the same manner as their Lord. So they turned his cross upside down. That's what tradition says. He was back, he was crucified upside down. Much more painful way to die. So, but but it all the thing I want you to focus on 
is the difference between the words agapeo and phileo. It's the difference between love that includes loyalty and love that does not include loyalty. It's the difference between a covenant love and an emotional love. An emotional love says, I'll stay with you as long as it benefits me. As long as it doesn't put me in a bind, I will stay. But the first time it inconveniences me, then my love for you will start to wane. And then you have people that tell me things like, well, you know, I still love him, but I'm not in love with him. I have no idea what that means. But, but it means something to some people. So, is everybody, you good with that? If we're going to follow Jesus in the way that we need to follow Jesus, then we have to have a level of loyalty with that love as a covenant love. Um, if we're going to stay married and that marriage is going to attain the oneness that it needs to attain, then it's going to have to be not only a love, but a love with loyalty. If you're going to maintain a friendship for 40 years with somebody, then that friendship is going to have to be made a love with loyalty. It's, covenant love is the thing that endures relationships for long terms of, of time. And so, with that being said, let's look at a couple of examples in Scripture of married couples or, or on their way to be married couples, and let's look at the differences in love. Isn't this fun? Y'all having fun? Is everybody having fun? I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I don't feel like sometimes I'm made to teach these kind of Bible studies. But anyway, <laughs> a little too touchy-feely for me. But anyway, so the lack of covenant love allows manipulation in a relationship. One way you can tell that there's no covenant love is if one of the members of the relationship is manipulative. If it's, and I'm talking here husband and wife, I'm talking friendships, I'm talking churches, I'm talking relationships here. If one of the members is manipulative, then there's no covenant love there. It's only a, a humanist love that's in it for me and what I can get out of the relationship and the relationship ceases to satisfy me, then, then I will leave that relationship. So lack of covenant love allows manipulation. And I want us to turn to the book of Judges, chapter 16. And we're going to read, or I'm going to read, unless somebody wants to come read it, uh, a long passage here, 4 through 21 in Judges 16. Now this is a story about a man named Samson. And Samson is a judge in the land of Israel. He is a, he is a, when the Lord comes upon him, he is the strongest man that's ever lived. Uh, he wasn't a big man, according to some things I've read. He wasn't a big man, but whenever, he wasn't a big muscular guy, but whenever the Lord came upon him, he had superhuman strength. And so this is a story of Samson and Samson falls in love. Samson's got a bad habit of falling in love with bad girls. He just seems to like bad girls. And he seems, you know, it's like somebody that, gets, that meets somebody in a bar and they get married and then they beat them up and all that kind of stuff and they get divorced and then three years later they're, look, they're dating somebody else. You say, where'd you meet him? At the same bar. Well, it's probably going to end up the same way. Try someplace different. But Samson does not. He, he, he for some reason, likes Philistine girls and, and they're, so let's, let's read about Samson's love with a woman named Delilah. And it came to pass afterwards that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, Entice him to see where his great strength lies and by what means we may prevail against him. Verse 6 says, and Samson, Delilah says to Samson, I pray thee. Oh, I should have read that other because if, if, if she is successful, at the end of verse 5 it says, We will give each, every one of you will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So they're going to they're gonna pay her. To find this out. So she asked him and she says, where does your great strength lie? In verse 7 he says, if you buy me with seven green wits that were never dried, I'll be weak. And so the Lord of the Philistines come up there in verse 8. Um, verse 9, they, they bind him and there were men lying in wait. Verse 9, he said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he break the whips as, as a thread of tow is broken when it touches a fire. So his strength wasn't known. So Delilah comes to him again and says, Behold, you've mocked me, told me these lies. Now tell me where thy strength lies. He says, If you bind me fast with new ropes, never occupied, I'll be weak. 
Verse 12 says she takes new ropes and she binds him. And then she says the Philistines be upon him. And uh, Samson, Samson stands up and he breaks him from off his arms like a thread. Delilah says unto Samson, hitherto you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me where you might be bound. He says unto her, if you weave the seven locks of my hair in a web. And she fastened it to a pen and said the Philistines and Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. Samson, he awakened out of sleep and, and went away with the pen of the beam in his hair in the web. Just broke it all in pieces. So can you see her manipulation here? Can't, can't you see that? She's manipulating him. She's trying to get him to tell her where his strength is. And then she's, she's, she's accusing him of lying and all this kind of stuff. So in verse 15, she says, How can you say I love you when your heart's not with me? You've mocked me three times, and now you've not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with words and urged him so that his soul was vexed to death and told her all his heart. And he says, there's not come a razor upon my head. I've been a Nazarite. If I be shaven, then my strength will go away. Verse 18, and when Delilah saw, he, he told all his heart. She called the Lord of the Philistines. They brought a barber with him. Verse 19, she made him sleep on her knees, called the, for a man who cut off his hair. Verse 20, the Philistines be upon you. He waked out of his sleep uh, as he did other times and wished not that the Lord was not with him. But the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with feathers of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. So her love for him was strictly financial. She manipulated him. She pressed on him. She vexed him. She did everything she could. She abused his love until he told her what she needed to know. And then as soon as she was satisfied with her side, then she left him. Verse 15 says, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? If you love me, you would if you really love me, you would. That's manipulation. And that's, and if in a relationship like that, covenant love will never be realized. It's never love plus loyalty is never known in a relationship where it's constant manipulation um, to try to obtain something that you desire. Um, secondly, lack of covenant love invites selfishness and fear. So if you go back one page here to Judges 14. We've, we have another, another girl Samson's fallen in love with. She's in troth to be married to him. And they're having a party, a week-long party for him. And uh, on his way there, he finds, he, on his way there, he kills a lion. And a couple of days later, he comes back, and the, and the bees have built a, a nest inside this line, and now the line's full of honey. So he comes by, and he gets him some honey, takes it home to his family. And so, let's see, let's go down to verse, uh, let's go down to verse 10, 14, verse 10. So the father went down with the woman, and Samson made a great feast, and it came to pass when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said unto these 30 companions, I will now put forth a riddle to you if you can certainly declare it to me within seven days um, and find it out. Then I will give you 30 sheets and 30 changes of garment. But if you can't declare it, then you'll give me 30 sheets and 30 changes of garment. And they said, put forth your riddle. And he said, out of the eater came forth meat and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not... They could not in three days expound his riddle. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they said unto Samson's wife, Entice thy husband that he may declare us the riddle. What's the result? Lest we burn thee and thy father's house with fire. Have you called us to take all that we have? Is it not so? So what did Samson's wife do? What did she do in verse 16? Oh, she did more than cry. Come on, ladies. She wailed. You don't love me. She wept. She just, and, and it says the seventh day here, but if you, if you go back and kind of put the days together, this actually went on for a couple of days. Oh, you just don't love me. You, didn't, you, you put your riddle under your people and you hadn't told it me. And Samson said, I didn't even tell my mom and dad about it. So she wept before him the seven days, and while the feast lasted, it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her because she lay sore upon him. He'd taken all of it he could take. And so he gave her the answer. And the men of the city on the seventh day said, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? So that lack of covenant love, not only is it manipulative, 
but it invites selfishness and it invites fear. Samson found how his friends had abused, has abused him and how his wife had betrayed him. Better to be angry with the Philistines than in love with them because when we join ourselves to them, we are in most danger of being ensnared by her. I like what Dakes, I, I, Finest Dakes said something about this that's really good. He said, she yielded to the blackmail and betrayed Samson for fear of being burned with her family. This did not save her for destruction. And if you read in chapter 15, verse 6, you'll find that the enemies came and burned the whole family anyway. If she had stayed true in covenant love with Samson, he would have protected her by his great gift of power. So covenant love or, or lack of covenant love puts the relationship in a position to be manipulated. It allows for selfishness. It induces fear, fear of being left, fear of, of not being able to trust your partner, fear of, of not being able to trust your friends, fear of, of, of those things. So covenant love puts stress on you, puts, puts stress on relationship just because you're always waiting for that moment when the disloyalty is going to occur. Does that make sense? Mike said something one time years ago that has stuck with me, and I think about it often. He said, without Jesus, life is full of a lot of drama. There's always drama. Um, and, he, and he's talked about how Gina and Mike's relationship was before they started coming to church, and there just always was drama, always something else going on, always some kind of something happening, some kind of fight that fixing to occur, always those kind of things. And you know what? When you don't know Jesus and you don't understand covenant relationship, a lot of times it's difficult because there's, there's always that little bit of drama, just like this, whining and crying to try to get her way, just manipulative, change. You know, um, we used to go to church with some, I guess they're, most of them are dead now, so I, could, I guess I could tell you their name. You, you wouldn't know them anyway. But we used to go to church with some people, and the dad was very strict. He had, he had two daughters um, that went to school in Beaumont, and the dad was very strict. And so the mother, the mother used to, he wanted them to wear uh, very uh, conservative clothing, dresses, very conservative clothing. And the mother would go and put their clothes in a bag and put them in the trunk of the car. So whenever they got to school, the girls would go around back, get the bag that mama made, went in the school, changed to what they wanted to wear, put the other clothes in the bag, and then before they went home that afternoon, go change back. Now, how, what do you think that did to the relationship between the mother and the daughters, between the father and the daughters? between the mother and the father, manipulation, selfishness, all that kind of stuff, you know. And when you don't have covenant love, you get into that drama. You get into those points. So you want a microphone? Leo. Exactly. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And, and that's a great segue because we're going to talk here for just a moment about, if you know Jesus, the type of love that you can have. So if we look in Genesis, well, yeah, let's go to Genesis, third chapter, verses one through six. 
Genesis 3, 1 through 6. We're going to talk about what covenant love is. And whenever you know God and you're known of God, then you, you, can, you can give covenant love. Genesis 3, 1 through 6 says, But the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. And he said to the woman, Hath God said, You shall not eat of the tree? The woman said, The serpent will eat of all the trees of the field. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge, you shall not eat. The serpent said unto the woman, You can surely eat it, for God knows in the day you eat it, you shall be as gods. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and did eat, and gave it to her husband, and he did eat. So do y'all know this story? Y'all heard this story before? Okay. So you know what's happened here? God told them the two trees, tree of life and tree of knowledge, don't eat from the tree of knowledge. The devil convinced Eve as he inhabited a serpent, that the, the tree of knowledge was a good food, and she ate, and then she gave to Adam, and he ate. So let's look at 1 Timothy. It's back in the back of your Bible. 1 Timothy, and let's look at verse, chapter 2 and verse 14. So 1 Timothy 2.14 is going to have a nugget of information here that you need to have in order to understand what we're talking about. 1 Timothy 2.14 has just a nugget of information, and that says this, Adam was not deceived. Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in transgression. So what does that mean to you? The woman ate being deceived. Now she ate. So was she going to be punished? Yes. The rule was you don't eat. She was deceived and she ate and she would be punished. Adam was not deceived. Adam ate of the fruit knowing, knowing what was about to happen. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Because he loved her with a covenant love. Now, Adam is called the first Adam. Jesus is called the second Adam. Who is the bride of Christ? Who is the bride, who is the bride of Christ? We are. The church is the bride of Christ. So by watching Jesus, we can tell what Adam did. So let's look at just a moment at some examples of what Adam did that demonstrate covenant love. Number one, he followed her. He knew what he was doing. He was not deceived. He followed her. He knew what he was doing. He was not deceived. And covenant love that's loyal will sometimes put you in a situation where you follow that loved one knowing that this is not a good idea, but you're going to... When I got out of when we got out, when I got out of college, we lived in a 14 by 52, was it 14? 12. 12 by 52 mobile home, which was fine. We lived in that and, and it was fine. But whenever I graduated college and I got a little money in my pocket, suddenly I felt like I needed a house. So I looked around and I found a house that I thought we would love. And so we went and looked at the house and in 1982, Kathy wasn't that thrilled with it, but she said, it's okay. I got my dad to come look at it. He said, you're paying way too much for this house. I decided they both didn't know what they were talking about, and I bought it. $36,000. We bought that house over on Britain, 106 Britain. And we were in that house for about four years. Well, at the end of four years, we decided that we would sell it and move to where we live right now. When we went to sell it, guess what? I had paid too much for it. I couldn't get my money out of it. And we went through, it was just like John was talking earlier, it was just God that made everything work out. But he made it all work out. We, we swapped houses with, um, you know, with the guy that wanted to, he wanted me to buy his house, I wanted him to buy my house, and we worked all that out. And we ended up getting out of it pretty good. But now what I want to tell you is through that whole ordeal, Kathy never said, I told you I didn't like this house to begin with. 
She endured that house for four years. We remodeled that house. We did all kinds of stuff to that house. She never did say, your dad told you you paid too much for it. You should have listened to him. She never said in that, in that time, whenever I was stressing over the house and how we were going to get the down payment, and how, she never came back and said, you should have done it different. She, she, she was very kind to me in a decision that I had made, and she followed me in that decision, knowing that she didn't really like the house, knowing that my dad had said it was too high. I was deceived because <laughs> I thought I needed a house, but she went in it willingly. Do you see what I'm talking about? And so, first of all, he followed her. Second of all, Adam would not abandon his bride to the whims of the devil. He was determined to protect her and secured her. God had designed Adam with characteristics symbolized by fire, energy, vitality, enthusiasm, lust, and initiative. And he, Adam knew that these characteristics would enable him to achieve a dominance, obtain wisdom, and develop culture that would protect his bride. He totally went into it knowing that he was going to be removed from the garden, knowing that he was going to bring death upon a race, knowing everything he knew, but he would not abandon that woman to the whims of the devil. He protected her and secured her and even went into punishment with her because he would not abandon her because he loved her with a covenant love. Number three, Adam was willing to take all the consequences of separation from God and taste death for every man in order to associate with her in her fallen state. And these are the three, I think, tremendous characteristics of a covenant love relationship because Adam sacrificed everything that he knew in order to guard her, to keep her, to protect her, to keep her from being out there on her own. He did it all. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I have watched this happen with, with parents, with people that have... Um, children or even adults that seem to have a hard time getting their footing in life, seem to have a hard time getting their, getting their, their lives <laughs> to where they can be productive citizens. I've watched, I've watched people try to keep things going because they loved them and they were loyal to them and they were going to help them and help them and help them till they bankrupt themselves mentally, physically, emotionally, and financially because of covenant love. And I want to tell you tonight that whenever you have covenant love with God, or covenant love in a relationship, covenant love in a friendship, then if, if that friend is in trouble, they can call you and you'll show up no matter what time of the day or night it is. You'll get up out of bed, you'll get dressed, you'll leave your family to go see what the problem is. because Not because you want to, but because you're in a covenant love relationship. And that's the difference between love that's selfish and manipulative and humanistic and love that's covenant love. And when I look across this congregation, I, I, I know that covenant love prevails because Jesus Christ prevails. And so I just want to tell you tonight that um, covenant love is the thing that we strive for. Love plus loyalty. All right, 8.30. That's, that's covenant love there because Kathy always wants me to end on time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, let me tell you the rest of this story, and, and, I, and I'm going to be real quick here. 
that particular family, a uh, very, very good family, always in church, uh, um, and apparently a godly family, but that disloyalty between the husband, you know, the, the mother thought she was helping the daughters by letting them fit in in school. And maybe the dad was wrong. Maybe he was overbearing and maybe, maybe he would have caused problems. Maybe he would have. But because they didn't discuss it and come to some kind of conclusion to where they could both stand together, what she did is she incited disloyalty, which brought down the, the dad in the eyes of the girls. And instead of the, those kids staying in church and, and, and continuing on in the tradition of their parents, that, that disloyalty and that hypocrisy that they saw in that, and it wasn't just that, I'm sure. I'm sure it was other things too. But that disloyalty and that the hypocrisy poisoned their relationships. And, and if, if, you were, if, I, if you knew this family and if you would have watched their lives like, like I've seen their lives, the youngest daughter, her life just ended up in a total mess. Marriage after marriage. A son that's dysfunctional, just just a mess, and and I don't think she wasn't raised that way, um, on the surface, but because of that constant disruption and hypocrisy and and doing what feels good for me, even if it means causing causing uh, causing problems in the in the in the family, that constant disruption, that constant drama, created kids who really didn't understand covenant love, and because they did not, even though they were raised in church, because they did not, then their relationships turned out to be, in one case at least, disastrous, totally disastrous. So we have to be careful. Covenant love is a very important concept. Okay, I quit. Anybody else have a comment? And I know I told it right because my mom keeps shaking her head. And she knows who I'm talking about, so I know I got it right. <laughs> All right. Stand with me if you would there. I'm done. Um, hope this was, I hope this was good. hope you enjoyed this. I enjoyed studying it. So, all right. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity, Lord, to learn of your love, Father. And, Lord, we pray tonight, God, that you would help us, O oh God, to create covenant love within our relationships, God. Father God, love that not only includes the commitment, Lord God, but also the loyalty to see that commitment through. And God, I just pray tonight, Lord God, that our commitment to you, Lord God, would also be in a covenant relationship. As you covenant with us, O God, let us covenant with you, O God, that we would serve you all the days of our life, O God, not only, Lord God, in a commitment to you, but in loyalty to you in every situation. We thank you for it tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week.